So we're in the second week of this series, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, it's my desire that uh, we as a church, that we are people of prayer. I know that in my own life, I have felt prayer sustain me. Uh, at times when things were difficult, I have felt prayer uh, carry me uh, through tragic times. In fact, this week, I, I shared with the staff on Thursday, um, we have been praying as a church over the past week for the church having a unified purpose and vision and for the leaders of the church. And I shared with the staff that I really, I, I really felt the, the prayers of the church. I want us to, to learn how to, to be people of prayer. If we're going to take our growth seriously in 2017, we need to take serious the call that, that God gives us to, to spend time with him. Uh, some of you this week prayed for uh, maybe the first time where you prayed every day. Uh, others of us uh, who have been people of prayer, we, we were more unified in our focus. And it was great to see uh, some of the stories on social media uh, of people coming together and, and praying. Um, the truth is you see this over and over again in Scripture, uh, both in people in history, but also uh, people in Scripture that uh, focus their um, their life on pulling away, withdrawing, and making sure they have time with just the Heavenly Father and being intentional to do that. I, I will tell you, if you if you don't know me, I have two kids. I have a 21-year-old son uh, and a 13-year-old daughter. Um, my 21-year-old son doesn't get to be here very often with us. He is uh, serving in a church up in North Georgia. Uh, but but both of my kids grew up in a world different than what I grew up in. Uh, when I was growing up, when I left the house, uh, I would leave the house and go spend the day. Um, my parents really didn't know where I was unless I found myself um, in a place where there was a phone that I could get in touch with them or if maybe I had found a pay phone at that time, a way to be able to, to call my parents. Uh, but I would literally leave in the morning. I would go all day long and, and fish and, and, and play in the woods, whatever it may be. I ride my bike to town um, and, and never, my parents never know where I was until I came back home that evening. Uh, that's not true for my kids. Uh, they leave the house, and I, I, I should, and I emphasize should, I should be able to get in touch with them uh, any time, any day uh, that they grew up with cell phones. And we can't even use uh, the, the excuse that we don't have cell coverage anymore because the coverage is so good. Uh, I should be able to get in touch with them any time. Well, the other day, I was outside the house, and, and both of my kids were home. And there was something that was going on. I can't even remember what that part was, but I, there was some reason that I needed to, to find out something about the house. And so I called my, my son, and he did not answer. And I thought, hmm. So I called my daughter, and she did not answer. And what I know happened was I called them, and they both looked at their phone and thought, hmm, that's dad. And they set it back down. I know that because I have seen them at home and they, they respond so quickly when one of their friends texts them or, or sends them a message on social media. Uh, they are in front of their phone uh, almost all the time when they are at home. So I know that they have their phone nearby. 
Before we make this as an indictment on the younger generation, the reality is I know this is true because I do that. I'll be sitting at work. My phone will ring, and I'll look, and it'll be my mom or my dad, and I say, well, I'll call them back later. I find myself in a very unique situation in life. Both of my parents are still living And so I get to experience the emotions that they go through. Because I wished someday that my children would just call me and say, well, I just wanted to hear your voice. I I called you. I just wanted to check in with you. I wish my kids would call and just say, I just want to say thanks. And I realized that that's what my parents desire as well. I speak about this emotion because if we experience that, I can only imagine that God wishes his children would sometimes just check in. That sometimes his children would just reach out to him to hear his voice, that God wishes his children would just stop and say thanks. So we are spending some time this month trying to help us grow in our attitude of prayer. And we're looking at biblical characters. What can we learn from them? What can we uh, gain from their prayer life that will help and enhance our prayer life? Last week, we looked at the person of Moses. Today, we're going to look at the person of Elijah. Elijah is one of the most colorful and dynamic characters that we read about in the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, almost 30 times he is lifted up as being one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. It's Elijah that is with Moses and Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration The book of James refers to Elijah and says that he has the power of prayer of a righteous man. One of my favorite descriptions of Elijah we find in the fifth chapter of James when it says that he is a man just like us. He was subject to the same temptations, to the same depressions, to the same struggles, to the same ups and downs that affect you and I. And we don't know much about Elijah's background. We know that he came from a small village in northern Israel. We also know that Elijah's name means Jehovah is God. But Elijah suddenly appears in the capital city of Samaria in the northern kingdom during the reign of King Ahab some 900 years before Christ is born. He's there to deliver a message from the Lord. At this time, Israel is politically, they're economically, they are prospering under King Ahab's reign. The only problem is, is that King Ahab is evil. So much so, in fact, that the Bible describes him this way in 1 Kings 16. It says, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab was married to Jezebel, somebody who is notoriously known for her wickedness. 
And it's under Jezebel's influence that Ahab builds a pagan temple and he allows idols to come into Samaria. And the Israelites, they begin to adopt some of the pagan practices and they begin to worship some of the pagan idols alongside of their worship of the one true God. So in essence, they break the commandments. And the truth is that the spiritual condition of the people at that time could not have been much worse. And so Elijah is sent by God with a message. God sent Elijah in a national crisis to get the people of Israel to wake up before it's too late. The crisis is that a drought is coming. And Elijah comes to announce it to the king. Look at what it says in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah's message was in reality a challenge to the king and queen that they had to believe in the one true God. And after delivering this message to King Ahab, Elijah is sent away by God. Because as you can imagine, Elijah was not very popular in Samaria at this time. So he goes and he hides in a ravine east of the Jordan River. And ravens bring him food. But then eventually the ravine drives up. He's sent to Zarephath to a widow who will provide for him. Listen to his story as the scripture reveals in 1 Kings 17. It says, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it. And die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of God, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. For two years, God miraculously provided for Elijah a food supply during the famine. And then during this time, he, he raises the widow's son who dies from an illness. He raises him back to life. And then during the third year of the drought, the Lord sends Elijah back to King Ahab. And what we see is a series of events that ends with this confrontation on Mount Carmel between Elijah and hundreds of pagan prophets. This supernatural showdown. And Elijah challenges the people that they have to choose between Baal and God. Basically the same choice that we have today. To choose between the one true God and the God of this world. The prophets of Baal, they spend half a day praying for their God to send down fire to consume their sacrifice. 
but nothing happens. Finally, the prophet Elijah says this is enough. And he tells the people to help him repair the altar, to repair it for God because it's laying in ruins. And he orders them to place wood and a sacrifice on top of the altar. And then he takes water and he saturates, saturates the wood. Three different times he brings water and pours it onto the sacrifice. So much so that it saturates it to the point that the water drains down off and fills the trench that surrounds the altar. And then the prophet Elijah stepped forwards and he prays. Listen to what he prays in 1 Kings 18. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now, here's the thing. God not only hears Elijah's prayer, he answers it in an extremely powerful way. I mean, remembering that the... That the wood is saturated. The water is filling the trench. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. His simple prayer exposed hundreds of pagan prophets as powerless frauds. Now let's break this down a little bit further because after you have this successful showdown, Elijah go and he goes and he, and he begins to pray for rain to end the drought because the Israelites have indicated that they are turning back to God. And what we see in this prayer for rain, we begin to see a pattern unfold in Elijah's life. And this is a pattern that I think that we can implement in our own life. These are the things that I would encourage you to take notes about. So the first thing that we see Elijah does is he separates himself. He separates himself. He goes to the top of Mount Carmel with only one servant so that he can give his full attention to God. We have to remove ourselves from the distractions so that we can focus on him. I mean, Jesus followed the exact same pattern. He would get up early and he would withdraw or it says that he would intentionally pull back the crowd so that he could spend time with his heavenly father. As your pastor, I hear people say all the time, they will they'll say, well, you know, I just feel like I have a, a lifestyle of prayer. Just feel like I'm praying all the time with God. And we, we claim that much like it's a badge of honor. My fear, though, is that we claim that as a badge of honor, but really it's just an excuse not to stop and be intentional. If we see that the biblical example, the biblical wisdom is telling us from Elijah's practices and Jesus' practices that we should withdraw and spend time with God, why do we not? The first thing that we can see in Elijah is that he separates himself. The second thing that I notice in Elijah's pattern is that he humbles himself. The story says that he bows down, he places his face between his knees, and he humbles himself before God. James affirms this in James 4.10. Look at what it says. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God will honor the person who comes in his presence humbly. I might challenge you today to think about your posture when you pray. 
And I'm not trying to, to start a legalistic argument. But folks, there is something powerful. And at the end of the service, there's something powerful in coming forward and kneeling at the altar. There's something powerful in praying and opening your hands up to God. There's something powerful in lifting your arm and hand to God. I will tell you that I have for 15 years been looking for a prayer bench that I could bring into my home. We have not been able to find one and in December Claire found this this prayer bench at an antique store. We're not going to put it in our home right now because the church needs it as we put it in the prayer room. But there is something about kneeling. There's something about this posture that, that humbles us before our almighty creator. And so I just want you to think about how do you humble yourself before God? The third thing that we see in Elijah's specific prayers. In James chapter 5, it gives us the details of Elijah's prayer. He doesn't just pray in generalities. He, he prays for specific things to be done. God honors this type of prayer. I don't know about you, but, but I sometimes get lazy in my prayers. I know somebody is in the hospital and I may say, well, God, be with that person. I know somebody has lost a loved one, and I say, I lift up this family to you. That's a pretty vague prayer. A more specific prayer might be, oh, God, this person has gone through a tragedy and losing a loved one. And in your word, you tell us that, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And I can only imagine, God, that they, they feel alone. They feel empty. They feel a void. And so, oh God, I pray that you fill that void in them. I pray, Lord, that you cover them. I pray, God, that you wrap your arms around them and protect them. I pray, Lord, that you carry them through the coming days when they don't want to get out of bed. You tell us in your word that you are a God of comfort and a God of peace. And so, Lord, I pray that you, you, you show them peace today. That you comfort them in ways that we are not able to comfort them. Tell God what's on your mind. I know that this takes more work. It's harder. But what you begin to see is you begin to see God really working. So from Elijah, we see somebody who prays specific prayers. Someone who separates himself from the distractions of the world and somebody who humbles himself before God. And then the fourth thing I would tell you is that we see somebody who is earnest in their prayers. I mean, James tells us that Elijah is a man just like us, but, but he also says that he prayed earnestly that it would rain. 
He didn't pray this spiritless prayer. He was fervent. He was passionate. His soul was moved by the needs of the people. He felt pressure for the things that he prayed for. And he was persistent. In 1 Kings 18, after praying for the rain, Elijah told his servant to to go and look at the sea for rain. And when he came back and told Elijah no, Elijah told him to go back seven different times. Go and look. He didn't let the outward circumstances affect his inward assurance that his prayer would be answered. Sometimes, like Elijah, we we experience delays in our answers. But in the, in the waiting, we learn how to trust. We learn how to trust in ways that, are, that we cannot learn if our prayers are immediately answered. See, I think sometimes we pray. We, we pray for something and we just, we pray it and then we move on. It's kind of like when somebody comes. You ever had anybody, a kid come and, and ring your doorbell and run the ding and ditch? You know how irritated it is when somebody does that to your doorbell? I think I wonder sometimes if God gets irritated because we just drop off a prayer and then we move on. God lays something on your heart. You have the responsibility to show confidence in the power of God through your prayer. Why did Elijah keep sending his servant to look at the sea? Because he was operating with a faith in the promise of God. He knew the rain was coming. He was expecting big things from God. If we're ever going to change our prayer life, if we're ever going to experience a great change, we need to learn how to pray with expectancy. We pray that God will do what God has promised he would do. In fact, in Mark chapter 11, it says, Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Expectation means to to wait for something in suspense. To continually remain in hope. To have faith that it will come to pass. On the eighth time, when the servant saw the cloud, he came back and he told Elijah. And Elijah knew that it was God answering his prayer. He knew that it was going to rain. Folks, I want you to understand we still serve a God who answers prayers. God honors the prayers of his people because the prayers of his people honor God. Now, I love Elijah's response because it happens to most of us. Elijah has this mountaintop experience. We expect to see all of these results out of what transpires, but that's not what happens. You see, Queen Jezebel hears the news and she sends word to Elijah by the way of a messenger that he's going to be dead within 24 hours if she has anything to do with it. You would think that Elijah would feel protected. God had provided for him for for years during the famine. He'd send ravens with, with bread every day and every evening. He provided through a widow that didn't have anything. You would think that 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 experience would would carry him. He'd seen the power of God with the fire come down and and, and burn the saturated wood. But it tells us that Elijah is a man like us. And so in 2 Kings 19, he says that he ran away afraid for his life. He was emotionally, spiritually, and physically drained. 
He made it to the southern region of the desert, far away from Jezebel. And it says he sat underneath the tree, exhausted and alone, and he begged God to take his life. Even after giving strength through the ravens and the widow, and after seeing the power of God and giving the strength to travel to Mount Sinai, Elijah was ready to quit. Have you ever felt like Elijah? I can tell you before going into ministry that there was a time that I served as a a layperson in a local church in Hiram. I became the lay leader of the church, and the church was not really extremely active in the community around us. And so I felt like God was wanting us to, to start a ministry to reach the community around us. So I went to the pastor and I said, you know, we wanna, I, wanna, I wanna start a food pantry. He said, well, tell me kind of how this is gonna work. And so I showed him a closet. I said, I wanna repurpose this closet. I wanna clean this out. I wanna put shelves in here. I wanna come to the church. I wanna promote the food pantry. I wanna do some food drives. I wanna market to the community and let people know that, that this ministry is gonna be open on the first and the third Saturday of every month. I got people behind it. I got people excited about this ministry. We did the food drives. We had, we, the, the food shelves were packed full. We were going to open up at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. I got there about 8.30 because I wanted to be there before anybody else came to serve. And I would be there to be able to see their faces when they walked in to be able to serve those in need. Everything went off like a hitch, I mean, without a hitch. And, and then uh, 10 o'clock came, we opened our doors, waiting for the people to come in who needed food. And for two hours, not a single person came. I felt like quitting. I can understand how Elijah felt. Elijah wasn't thinking rationally. And the funny thing is he isolated himself from the very people that would strengthen him. And that's how human nature works. When we get discouraged, it's crazy how one of the first things that we do is we withdraw from human contact. I see it all the time. I preach it all the time. And yet I experience it all the time. When someone gets discouraged, they walk into my office and they say, you know what, I think I'm going to take a break. And it's often one of the worst things we can do. Elijah got lost in his self-pity. But then that night, he was on a, in a cave on the, on the Mount Horeb. And after getting some rest, he, he heard the voice of God. And, Elijah, and God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah couldn't contain his emotions. It flooded out. And look at what it says in 1 Kings 19. He replied. He replied to God. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I get it. Elijah was full of questions and doubt, just like I was on that Saturday morning when no one showed up. Elijah had lost sight of God. And so God tells Elijah, what I want you to do is get outside the cave. I want you to stand on the mountain, and I'm going to pass by. And can't you imagine Elijah standing there, trembling, waiting for God to pass by. And in that very moment, a wind rushes in. A wind so forceful, the Bible says, that the rocks were scattered. But somehow Elijah knew that God was not in the wind. And then at that moment, the, the earth began to quake. 
But even in the power of the quake, there was, there was no sense of God's presence. Still waiting, fire came, and it was like the mountain was completely ablaze. But God was nowhere to be found. And then Elijah heard silence. And then a gentle whisper of the one he loves. None of the displays of God's power would have shocked Elijah as much as a still, small voice. So many times we think God is going to move and we're looking for a billboard. We're looking for a two-by-four to the head. And we can be blinded to the fact that God is already speaking through Scripture. God is already speaking in the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit. How do you listen for the all-powerful and yet invisible God? The truth is we see in Scripture and history hundreds of examples of people hearing the voice of God. Let me tell you how God speaks to me. Often it's a random thought. I'll be working on something and then someone else will come to my mind. And I know that that's from God. Often it's one or two or three people coming to me and I begin to see a pattern when, when I hear the same person being asked about and I realize that, that that's God moving in me to reach out to them. I wake up often during the night or early in the morning and somebody is on my mind, somebody that I didn't go thinking about or anything like that. And I used to, I used to think that was a crazy idea that that would be from God. And then I read this passage in Isaiah 50 where it says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. That's one of the ways that God speaks to me. I watch for, for answers to prayer. I know that's a crazy idea, but you see, I expect God to work. And when I see him working, it is often in the working that God speaks. Last week you left and I asked you to pray for our church. To pray for a collective unity of spirit and vision and purpose. I asked you to pray for the leaders of our church. Tuesday morning, we have a men's Bible study here at the church about 7.30, and I got here like normal about 6.45. I got everything going, and about 7.05, 7.10, Clark James and Ron Moomy came walking in to the room where we were going to have Bible study. And Clark says, did you see the guy outside? I said, no. And he said, when we were walking up, there's a homeless guy sleeping by the door. But don't worry, he told us, we think we woke him up, but he told us that he would, he'd get up and get going and he'd be out of our way. We talked for just a moment. And then I thought, you know, we have a coffee cart in the room. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, and I said to Clark and Ron, maybe we need to go and invite him to come in and get him a cup of coffee. Go to the restroom, freshen up. And Clark said, well, I'll go and invite him. A few minutes later, Clark 
and the homeless guy come walking in. He goes to the restroom, freshens up, and then he comes in to get him a cup of coffee. I walked over and I introduced myself to him. I extended my hand to shake his hand, but he didn't really want to shake mine. I said, I'm Andy, and he looked at me and replied, I'm anybody. He went on his way to gather all of his things, and a few minutes later, a couple more people were coming in, and a few minutes later, he comes walking back in. He goes, I want to show you something. And he unwraps something out of his bag that's very protected by leather, and he unwraps it, and it's his Bible. His Bible is weathered and worn and used probably more than any of our Bibles in the room. He said, pick a page. It was so worn out that it wasn't even bound together. He said, pick a page, any page. And on the pages that he had written, he had written his reflections. He had written poetry. He'd, he'd written his thoughts and his prayers to God. He was so proud of his Bible. I expressed how cool it was, and we talked for just a moment. And then he made his way out the door. few minutes later, everybody began to, to gather in, and I think it was Don Cruz, one of our leaders in the church, said, did you see the guy outside? And some of the people that had came in by, between the, the first encounter and that encounter, some people said they saw him, some people did say that they didn't see him. And I said, well, since we're talking about him, let me, let me ask you a question. And it's a question that has stirred in my soul for five days. I said, I don't know if you heard the encounter that I had when I introduced myself, but when I told him my name was Andy, he told me his name was anybody. And so I asked the group, is our church welcoming Anybody? Is our church open to anybody? Later that day, I was praying for our church, our leaders, our unity, our collective vision and purpose. And then I heard it. Just like Elijah, a whisper. And what I heard was I introduced you to him this morning. Is anybody welcome in our church? I tell you that story because I think his, his story is an answer to our collective prayer, but it's also a reminder of one of the key messages of Elijah's story, that an all-powerful God that is holy and sovereign and majestic still desires to speak to us in an intimate and personal way. In so many different ways, God could have spoken to us. But he chose to speak it in the voice of a homeless man. How do you hear? How do you listen to the all-powerful and yet invisible God?
Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you that you are God who does still speak to us. That you are God who desires to be intimate and personal with us. I pray, God, that you can help us. Help us to to be passionate and fervent and earnest in our prayers. Help us to to not be complacent, but to, to be specific, to talk to you about the things that we feel and the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we know. Help us, God, to humble ourselves before you. Help us to be intentional, to separate ourselves from the things of this world that distract us so that we are deeper and richer in our conversation with you. Help us, O oh God, to, to be focused on anybody and everybody who is in need. Help us to be focused on anybody who does not know Jesus Christ. Help us to focus on anybody who needs to grow in their faith. And I realize, God, that this may scare some people. But I pray, God, that you give us the courage to live into your vision and your purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray.